Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I want to start this morning's talk with a a question for you, kind of a rhetorical question. You don't have to say it out loud, but I'd like you to think, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? What comes to your mind? What, What pops into your mind? Now, I know we're in church, and most of us here would identify ourselves as one of those, okay? But, but, and maybe that's what you think of. When you hear the word Christian, you're thinking about the people that I meet every weekend here in our worship services. Maybe you think about the people that are in your community group that you kind of do life with. Those are the, the ones that you, that you really share that, that faith with. Maybe, maybe you think of a member of our pastoral staff. Maybe you think of me. Or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you think of a set of doctrines and isms and beliefs. um, Or or maybe maybe you think of certain behaviors or activities. Okay? What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Would it surprise you to know that the early Christians, first century Christians, never referred to themselves as Christians? Would that be a surprise to you? They actually got that nickname from the people of the city. They start, they're the ones who started calling these people Christ followers. They started calling them Christians. Did you know that Jesus never called anybody to be a Christian? What he did call was for people to follow. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That's kind of what I want us to unpack together. What does it look like? What does this idea of following Jesus look like? And we're going to take a look at three scenes from the, the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And because I think each one of these kind of shed a little bit of light on what happens when someone chooses to follow Jesus. And this, I hope, will be helpful for you. And particularly if you're here this morning and you're not sure about following Jesus, you're just kind of in that investigating mode right now and you want to find out, then this message, I think, is going to be particularly applicable to you. Because we're going to talk about what it's like to follow Jesus and what happens when you do that. And we're going to start at the very beginnings of Jesus' ministry. Um, it's in Matthew Chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, or if you brought your copy of the story with you, it's at page, on page 322, the second paragraph. That's what we're going to start reading. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew tells us then immediately after that that he went out into the wilderness, and he spent 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And having finished that temptation and overcome those temptations, he came back and actually came back and was walking again by the Jordan River. And and as he was walking by, John the Baptist saw him and said, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And some of his disciples started to follow Jesus from that time on. Two of them came to him and said, where are you going? He said, come and see. Then it says the next day, and this is in John 1, beginning in verse 43, Um, In your book story, it's 323, the bottom of the page. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Philip said, come and see. The first two incidents of Jesus' ministry at the very, very beginning, and both of those, and then one more we're going to look at, talk about and speak to this idea of what happens when you start to follow Jesus. And I want to start with this one. The first thing that happens when someone decides to follow Jesus is you get a renewed sense of identity. Something changes. Before anything else, Jesus begins his ministry getting baptized by John. Now understand something here, okay? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was for people who were willing to come forward and admit their sin and asking God's forgiveness and to change the direction of your life. So Jesus comes to be baptized by John. But what we know is that Jesus knew, didn't have any sin. Right over Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. Paul writes about him saying that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So this is this baptism of repentance. It's for repentance. It's people coming and confessing their sins and changing the direction of your life. What is Jesus doing here? You ever thought about that? Why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't have any sin. He didn't need to be baptized. In fact, John himself, he's not too sure about this. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? It's like John takes you to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got this backwards. <laughs> you are supposed to baptize me. I don't baptize you. What's going on here? What's going on here? Now, Jesus says, listen, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What is going on here? What does this fulfill all righteousness? What is he doing? I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think most of all, overall, it's an act of submission and surrender. And one of the things that I think Jesus is doing here is he is fully identifying himself with sinful man. He is going to, in three years, take on the sins of humanity on himself on the cross. But at this moment, at the beginning of his ministry, he is starting from square one saying, I am identifying myself fully with those who are sinners. And I think part of what he's doing there is he is fully not only identifying himself with us, he is fully surrendering himself to the Father's plan. Remember his prayer in the garden just before he's arrested and about to be crucified? He prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. If there's any way possible for this cup to pass from me, please let it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in that garden, he made that final decision to follow completely through with the Father's plan. I think what's happening is three years ahead of time, right here at the very beginning, he's starting that process of surrendering. And I think, I really believe, I wonder actually, if there was no baptism, would there have been a prayer in Gethsemane Garden? There was no baptism, would there have ever been a cross? Because I think the process started way back here, three years ahead of time. Because I am willing to fully identify myself with sinful mankind. Now think of what that means. Knowing full well you are not guilty, being willing to take on the guilt of others. Okay, We don't even want to admit our own guilt when we know we're guilty. <laughs> 
But Jesus at the very beginning is saying, I am taking all this on, and I'm submitting myself from the, to the Father's plan from day one. And I think there's one other thing that's going on here. I think he is permanently laying down his tool belt and putting away the hammer and the chisel. And he's saying, I'm not a carpenter anymore. You see, it's the very same Jesus that goes into the water is the one who comes out of the water. But he goes into, wa- into the water just a carpenter. He comes out of the baptismal waters as a rabbi, the Messiah. He goes into the waters, the son of Joseph and Mary. He comes out, the son of God. He goes into the waters, just a kid from the village of Nazareth. He comes out, the savior of the world. And I think that baptism represented that transition point for everything. Everything up till now is laid aside. There was a new direction for his life. There was a new identity. In fact, those are the words that come. It says, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And I think that sentence, that affirmation of Father God is the thing that carried him through the next three years of his ministry. In fact, I think it is the very thing that carried him through those next 40 days when he's in the wilderness. Because remember the temptations of Satan? Well, that always started with, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down off of this. If you are, if you are. No, no, no. I settled that issue. (laughs) I know who I am. My father has affirmed it. And I think that affirmation, this is my son, whom I love. Long before he preached a single sermon, long before he taught a single parable, long before he performed a a single miracle, before he did anything, Father's affirmation was, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the same thing happens to you and I when we choose to follow Jesus. We are the same person and yet somehow different. When I decided to follow Jesus, I was still the same Ken Jensen. I am still the same Ken Jensen, unfortunately. (laughs) But something changed. Something changes when you choose to follow Jesus. There is a change in your identity because now you were forgiven. Now you are restored. Now you are redeemed. Now, now you are a child of God's. Not because you deserved it, but because of the grace of God. Extend it to you. When you choose to follow Jesus, it's a change of your identity. And something else happens. You get a renewed sense of direction. I mean, Jesus used two phrases to call people. Come and see and follow me. Both of those phrases are all directional. Come. Come and see. Follow. Follow me. Those are are directional. And what that says is that following Jesus isn't so much about where you are right now or even where you've been. Following Jesus is all about the direction that you're heading. See, that's what discipleship is really all about. That's what Jesus' invitation. You know, I think sometimes we make it it way too complicated. Jesus just simply called the people and he said, come and see. Just come and see. That's directional, but it's also experiential. Because, see, there are some things that you can't just, you can't explain to people. It has to be experienced by themselves. 
People don't start following Jesus because you convince them with a really good theological argument. Very rarely does that happen. Most it's because somebody decides, you know, I'm going to check this out. Because it's one of those things, following Jesus is something that has to be experienced. You can't just talk somebody into it. You got to experience it. A couple of years ago, when, when Krispy Kreme donuts first came to the Bay Area, you, you know what I'm talking about, you know? I, I had friends who had come from uh, I, North Carolina, I guess is where it started, but I know they were up in the, in the Midwest for years and years and years, and then they finally came to the Bay Area, and people said, Krispy Kreme donuts are coming, Krispy Kreme, they're opening a donut shop right over in Antioch, the very first one around us, and I, so? Krispy Kreme donuts. I go, I've had donuts. I like donuts. But a donut is a donut is a donut. No, not Krispy Kreme. I said, seriously? I said, no, you've got to t- come and see. Come and taste. You've got to experience Krispy Kreme donuts. So I did. I remember the very first time I had Krispy Kreme donuts. I actually took a lunch hour because the first one opened up down in Antioch, up the river here across the bridge. $5 toll, drove all the way to Antioch. I got there. The line was out the door. And I'm saying, this is ridiculous. But I drove all this way. So I got in line. And the line took forever. And slowly it worked away. And then I got inside. And you started to smell. I go, oh, this smells good. And then you, then you, then you went by the, the, the assembly line. And you saw them coming down the little raft of oil. And you went, oh, those look really, really good. And then they were doing fresh and hot served now and they were giving free samples and i got my first krispy kreme donut and it was like oh this is different they were right see jesus invitation is just come and see see that's what that was his invitation to these guys just Come and see. You got you to check this out for yourself because I can't explain it to you thoroughly and I can't, I can't talk you into this. You got to come and experience for yourself. And that's what Jesus did. And what they experienced was something incredible. And they continued to follow. Now, the other term that he used, the other phrase that he used was follow me, which is not only experiential, but it's relational. Come and see. Check it out for yourself. But, but follow me. Stay with me. Be with me. And so you read in John's gospel. It says the next day Jesus came, left, decided to leave for Galilee. He found a guy named Philip and he said to him, follow me. And Philip did. And so did others. Now, all of these guys, there were at times hundreds of people following Jesus. But there were 12 that he kind of handpicked and specifically called to follow me. And not one of these guys was perfect. In fact, they were far, far from it. And in fact, they weren't even very much alike. This this group of followers of Jesus was so diverse and so different from each other. And, And truthfully, naturally, they would have nothing to do with each other. You had Andrew. Andrew had been a follower of John the Baptist before he became a follower of Jesus. Andrew was one of those, you got to repent <laughs> kind of guys. He was a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. He was a follower of John the Baptist. And he had a brother named Peter. And so he invited his brother Peter. Peter had some friends that he, fishing buddies that he had, had another business, James and John. Do you know what James and John's nickname was? They were called the Sons of Thunder. 
That'll tell you a little bit about their personalities. The Thunder Brothers, they're with us now, okay? And then he had another guy. He, he called Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Nathaniel's answer was, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. So, Nat, so Nathaniel started as a follower of Jesus. There was a follower of Jesus. His name was Simon the Zealot. You know who the Zealots were? The Zealots were absolutely opposed to the Roman rule of Judea. The Roman Empire had grown, conquered all of Judea and just all, pretty much the whole Mediterranean area. And, and what they did was they, they had an occupying army. And the army was there all the time to keep the peace. And they had occupational government. And the zealous hated the Romans. They hated them being there. They hated their army. They wanted to do everything that they could to overthrow the Roman rule of Judea. That's who the zealots were. And Simon was one of those. And he was one of the followers that Jesus said, follow me. And then, and then, as Jesus is putting this group together, he's got all these guys. And then he comes and he finds this guy named Matthew. And Matthew writes about his own calling. It says, and Jesus came, saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, here's what you got to understand about tax collectors. They were the exact opposites of the zealots. In fact, the zealots hated the tax collectors. Actually, everybody hated the tax collectors. <laughs> I mean, you think you don't like the IRS, okay? They hated hated tax collectors because they were considered to be collaborators and traitors to their own country because what happened was when the romans came in and they'd send up their occupying government and occupying army they also started occupying taxes and they taxed you for everything and the way that they set it up is they actually auctioned off um, these positions of tax collectors and that was a very lucrative business because as long as you collected and rome got their part you could charge whatever else you wanted you could set a, a tax rate of 30% as long as Rome got there 20. You got to keep 10 or whatever. And they were endorsed and, and, and backed by the Roman government and could extort money from people anywhere, anytime, pretty much. And so nobody liked the tax collectors, certainly not Simon the Zealot, but, but nobody. In fact, honestly, they had their own category. You read through the Gospels and it always talks about the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were so bad, even the sinners didn't like them, okay? That's the tax collectors. And I'm sure when Jesus calls Matthew as they're walking along the road and they come to the tax collector's booth, the little toll booth there on the side of the road, and Jesus turns to Matthew and says, follow me, all the 11 guys are going, not him. You know what he does? That's going to ruin our reputation to be hanging out with this guy. And it's like Jesus said, wait, do you see where we're going for dinner? Because that night, Matthew throws a party, and Jesus and his disciples go to this party at Matthew the tax collector's house. And you know who else was there? Other tax collectors. In fact, you read Matthew's gospel, it says many tax collectors were there, because that's the only friends that Matthew had. And all the other disciples are thinking, what are we doing? But it's, it's, it's relational. None of them were perfect. They didn't even like each other, I think, from time to time. Have you ever felt that way about other Christians? <laughs> but it's relational, and it's experiential. And here's the deal. You don't have to get it all together to be a follower of Jesus. And a lot of times people think, i gotta, I got to get my life straightened out before I can become a Christ follower. No. There are no, pre well, actually there is, there's one prerequisite. You have to be a sinner. 
Jesus called sinners. And he was willing to put his reputation on the line to identify himself with them and have them identify themselves with him. I like the way Andy Stanley puts it. He said, Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. It's relational. Following Jesus is relational. It's experiential. And you don't have to be, you don't have to have your life together. In fact, you don't even have to be a full believer yet. You know, the most of the first three years, that's what Jesus kept saying to his disciples. Oh, you have little faith. When are you going to start believing? When are you going to start trusting me? Because you don't have to have it all figured out and you don't have to have all the answers. You can become a follower of Jesus even with your questions and your doubts and your uncertainties. Because that's the people that Jesus called. And we make it way too complicated when it's really just simply about being with Jesus. Mark 6 sums it up this way, that Jesus called to him those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and he might send them out. It's an invitation to a relationship and you don't have to get your act together first and it doesn't even matter if you have just a little bit of faith. You can follow because it's not about where you're at right now. It's about the change in direction that you take when you start following him. And when you become a follower of Jesus, there's one more thing. It changes and renews your sense of joy. There is something about following Jesus that is joy-filled. Now, unfortunately, most people's opinion and, 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 and what they think of when they think of Christian, when they think of Christ followers, is that they are the most miserable, sour, subjective um, hypocritical people. And, and truthfully, I have known some Christians who, who I think they measure their spirituality by how miserable they are. But that is not what Jesus called us to. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he writes about this. He writes these words. He says, how many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boring, lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied. Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality within the freedom of God's loving rule. Spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. Because Christians have missed the point. Sheldon Van Auken, in his book, um, A Severe Mercy, writes this. He says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Anybody know what Jesus' first miracle was? He turned water into wine. That was his very first miracle. And I know, I know there is a lot of theological implications there. There's a lot of foreshadowing. And changing water into wine, I think, foreshadows in some ways three years later when he says to his disciples, take this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
and the celebration at the wedding, yes, that, that is foreshadowing of, his Christ, of Christ's second coming when we will all join in the celebration, the marriage wedding, and a celebration of the marriage of the Lamb, that we are called the bride of Christ. I understand all of those deep theological truths that are there, but at its simplest, you know what it was? It was a party. It was a celebration. It was a wedding feast that had gone on for days and days and days. And they had run out of wine. And when you run out of wine, the party's over. <laughs> it just is. And Jesus' mother comes to him and he says, we've run out of wine. And Jesus says, what does that have to do with me? But she knows Jesus. It's her son. So she just walks away and says to the servants, now you... You just do what he tells you. And Jesus does. And he tells him, go and draw these big stone jars, fill them with water, and then dip out of that and bring it to the host of the banquet. He brings it to the host of the banquet. And he drinks it, and that water is wine. It's not just wine. It's the best wine. In fact, he comments to the groom. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper stuff when the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And I think one of the things that Jesus is doing there is he wants us to understand that following him is not a miserable experience. Yes, it is sometimes sacrificial. Yes, it is sometimes hard. It is not all happy, happy, joy, joy. But underneath all of it, there's this un, un, un just permeating sense of joy about my life is now in Christ and no matter what I am going through it is only for my good and no matter how hard it might be and how what sacrifices I may have to make from time to time it is only because what he has for me is better because he saves the best to last and it ought to be a party following Jesus I think that's one of the things he wants us to understand it is not meant to be misery. Yes, there are times. I'm not saying it's, it, it's never hard. But it is joy-filled. Because that's the life that he came to, for us to follow. And our spirituality, your spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is not to be measured by the number of hours you log in prayer or the amount of uh, perfect attendance that you have in church. Or how many times you read all the way through the Bible. Those are important things. Don't get me wrong. They are absolutely essential to your growth and your understanding of God. But that is not the measurement of your faith and your maturity. The true measurement, I believe, of our faith and maturity in this journey of following Jesus is, am I becoming more and more joyful? Or more and more miserable? Am I becoming more and more grace-filled in my relationships to others? Or more judgmental and hypocritical? Am I becoming more and more loving or less? Because I think those are the things that God wants to work in our lives as we follow Jesus. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new direction. And he gives us a sense of deep abiding joy in our lives that will carry us through no matter what misery we might encompass and encounter. And it says that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want you to think about that because that miracle was actually a very private miracle. It wasn't really a big to-do. There was no blind man who went off saying, once I was blind and now I see. There was no lame man that took up his bed and started to walk. It was a very private. In fact, the only people that know about this miracle are Jesus, his mother, the servants, 
and his disciples. Nobody else knows where the wine came from. But he says, in that act, in his very first miracle, in that celebratory moment, he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. See, following Jesus is all about that. Discovering the joy of his glory. and Continuing to learn how to believe in him. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.